Let's pray one more time, and then we're going to jump into today's message on the apocalypse. What a wonderful Christmas message, right? The apocalypse. It's like, it just felt very fitting, you know, to wrap up 2020 talking about the apocalypse. So here we go. I'm not kidding either. You might think he's just joking right now. No, really? We're talking about the apocalypse. So here we go. Let's, let's pray because surely we need some help from the Lord as we dive into this topic this morning. Well, Jesus, we thank you for your great love for us. God, we thank you for who you are, for what you have done, but thank you for what you are always doing in our midst. Jesus, that's the part that's easy to lose sight of. Lord, we often look back and remember that you came for us. We remember your birth, especially this time of year. We definitely remember your sacrifice, your death on the cross, your burial, your resurrection. We do a lot of looking back to find life and hope and encouragement. Jesus, we also do a lot of looking ahead. We look ahead to when you fix all of this. We look ahead to to heaven and the hope that we find there. But Jesus, in the midst of looking back, in the midst of looking ahead, I pray that we could see you today, right here, present and active in our lives. And so Jesus, would you fill our vision this morning through this message? Would you fill our vision through this week as we celebrate your birth? But God, may this be a marker for us every day of our lives that we recognize you, our risen Savior, and your presence with us. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of being brought into your family. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence in our lives, teaching us, guiding us, empowering us. Thank you for the life that we have in you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We worship you this morning. And we invite you now to guide us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The apocalypse, it feels very fitting. You know, um, it's a word that gets thrown around a lot. For many of us, you know, 2020 might even be the first time in our lives where we felt like, man, is this really, are we coming to the end? Is this when everything falls apart, you know? Is this it? Um, But we use the word apocalypse to describe things going bad, right? Like, isn't that how we usually use that word? Like things are going bad. It describes a time when things are maybe even falling apart. In fact, we often view the apocalypse, it's like end of times stuff. You know, it's when society just crumbles and everything falls and the world is just a wreck. That's what apocalypse has come to mean for us. Listen, many of us are preparing to experience our own little apocalypse on Christmas morning. I mean, y'all know the scene, right? Like the presents have been opened, the wrapping paper is everywhere. Does, does anybody have that moment where it just feels like a bomb has gone off in your living room on Christmas morning? No, it's just me, okay. You guys are all the folks who are really good about like, you've already got the trash bag ready and like the minute your kid rips the paper off, you're snatching out of their hand and shoving it in there. Well listen, believe it or not, Christmas morning is actually one of the most accurate representations of what the apocalypse really is. See, the truth is, we use the word incorrectly. We use it incorrectly. As Inigo Montoya said to Vecini, you keep on using this word. I do not think it means what you think it means. 
For those of you who have not seen The Princess Bride, I apologize. You can ask someone later about that. We use this word. The truth is, you know how we experience the apocalypse on Christmas morning? It's not the wrapping that's everywhere. The word apocalypse means revealing or appearing or unveiling. That's what the word means. So this gift that I hold that is wrapped, when I unwrap that gift, that is an apocalypse. It is a moment of revelation. Look what is available to me. Look at this precious gift. And we do that because it points back to the very first apocalypse. When in the darkest of nights, when the most difficult of times, the Son of God appeared. Jesus himself was revealed in difficulty, in darkness. You know, I'm thankful that Christmas to me, if it means anything, one of the things it means is gathering at home and it means tradition and it means family. It's not what the first Christmas looked like. Jesus wasn't home. He didn't even have a good hotel to go to. He was born displaced where he didn't want to be in a difficult time in order to shine light in the darkness. Friends, the apocalypse, there is attached to the capital T apocalypse at the end of times. There is attached to that difficulty, absolutely. That's not what the apocalypse is about. It's about the revealing or unveiling of Jesus ultimately and then, and then the world itself and those in it, us, the unveiling of who God really intended for us to be. And the things that go bad at the end is when all the garbage is exposed for what it really is. So there's the mess, but then it gets wiped away. And the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords appears forever and ever to take his place as our King. That's what apocalypse means. It's the revealing. So we're going to be reading... In the next two weeks, the book of Revelation, apocalypse, that's what the word means, the book of Revelation. Well, this morning, we're going to talk about this from the perspective of Peter, the apostle, the disciple of Jesus, who wrote a couple of letters, but in 1 Peter, his first letter that we have, he uses this same word over and over again. In fact, in the very first chapter, so if you want to know kind of where we're going to be anchored this morning... It's in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. And in those handful of verses, this word appears four different times as both a noun and a verb. The appearance or the appearing, the revealing. And so I believe there are three things this morning that we can learn about the power of revelation. The power of an appearance, an unveiling, a revealing. All right? And so the three things are the promise of revelation, the work of revelation, and the light of revelation. The promise of revelation, the work of revelation, and the light of revelation. Here we go. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. The promise of revelation. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. There's the promise of revelation. There is an inheritance awaiting us that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. Apocalypse in the last time. The revelation points to a promise. God has something for us that we don't see right now, but it's a living hope. We can be assured of it. We can draw current hope and strength for our living in the here and now because of the promise of the revelation of what awaits. Alex did a great job talking about this. If y'all watched Friday's Letters to the Beloved video, he was in this passage. I feel like maybe y'all don't believe us because I say this all the time, but we talk far less than you would think we talk about what we're teaching about, what we're singing. And so I knew on Wednesday what I was teaching this morning. And on Friday, I watched the video Alex filmed, and he's in this passage. And it just, it brought such encouragement to me. He did a great job even explaining this idea of imperishable, undefiled, unfading. It's not going to break down. It's not going to fall apart. It's going to last And the glory that we get at the very beginning of heaven is the glory that will continue for all eternity. You know, I I grew up in church a lot of my life, and there were a lot of times in my life where when I thought of heaven, it just seemed boring to me. That's just because I don't understand what's going to be revealed. When it's revealed in all its glory, the promise of what God has for us is going to blow our minds, and it will keep blowing our minds forever. He's that good. And so we're to draw hope from that now. So this, the promise of revelation, it produces some stuff in us. So let's take a look at Peter himself to see what revelation produces in our lives because he's talking from firsthand experience. So check this out. There's a really cool story in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus is talking with the disciples they're outside of Caesarea Philippi. You know, they're looking just kind of at the gates of that, that city. And he's ta- having a discussion with disciples about who do people say that I am? You know, and there's all these people making their own determination of who they think Jesus is. Not who he really is, who they think he is. And you know what? There's a lot of confusion. And the same is true in our current day and age. They had all kinds of ideas. Maybe he's this, maybe he's that. They didn't really understand fully who he was. And so then Jesus boils down to the real point. He looks at his followers and he says these words. Matthew 16, verse 15. Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're the one. And Jesus answered him and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this apocalypse to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. This is the moment where Peter had his name changed. He was known as Simon before this, and now Jesus calls him Peter, the rock. So you are Peter the rock, and on this rock, 
the revelation of me as the Christ, the Son of the living God, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Friends, Peter has a divine revelation, and it is not primarily about the future. His revelation is of the present Jesus. Not who he thinks he is, not the opinions he's formed over time through his reading or observation of other people or what they have to say. Peter has a moment of revelation where he sees Jesus for who he really is. And Jesus says, this is a gift. This isn't something you worked for. It's not something you've achieved. God himself has given you incredible insight to see me for who I am. See, friends, the way, the way to have the promise of revelation is to have a present revelation of Jesus Christ. That God might open our eyes so we could see him for who he really is in all of his glory and watch what this produces. When we see Jesus for who he is, we receive a powerful new identity. Peter's given a new name. You're the rock. Well, this wasn't based on Peter and his personality because you look at that bro's life, he was not a rock. <laughs> he was all over the place, up and down, back and forth. But see, when Jesus sees him through the eyes of God, he says, no, you are the rock. This is your identity in me because the truth is I'm the bedrock. I'm the firm foundation, and in me, therefore, you are solid and stable and sure. See, friends, when we see Jesus for who he is, this becomes the bedrock for us in all circumstances. The gates of hell cannot prevail against us. When it feels like the scary version of the apocalypse is knocking at our door, when the trials and circumstances of this life seem to be Finding us, the bedrock for us is Jesus, our King, who he really is. And it gives us a firm foundation in all circumstances, and he makes us something that we are not on our own. And it is through this revelation that we not only have a solid foundation now, but we have the promise of the unfading, eternal revelation and inheritance in him. Amen, somebody? That's the promise of Revelation. What about the work of Revelation? Peter continues now. The next couple verses, verses 6 and 7. 1 Peter, chapter 1 still. In this you rejoice. So we've got this great revelation. We have this heavenly inheritance waiting for us. In this you rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Friends, we're now talking about the work of revelation. There is a work that God is up to in us, in the midst of the trials and tribulations and difficulty of this life. There is work 
that he is doing. And it's a work that produces great wages. He uses the analogy of gold, I think, for a couple reasons here. One, when we're striving and we're working, we expect to receive something back for that. Well, God says, listen, this is a work I do in you. And what you're going to receive on the other side of this work that I'm doing in you is worth way more than gold. Whatever you can look at in this life and, go, and say, that's what it looks like to arrive. You know, what vision do you have in your, in your head? You know, I picture like a beautiful house on the beach, looking out at the ocean waves coming and just chill time. That pales in comparison to what God has for us in the work that he is doing in our lives. It's worth more than we could ever imagine. It's far worth its weight in gold. And so he says, I'm doing something in you. There's work to be done. The second reason I believe he uses the analogy of gold is because he talks about it being tested through fire. He's saying, listen, life is hard. And the difficulties that we face, like, like fire hurts. I've experienced like touching something and getting burned. I was trying to pour a big pot of hot chocolate into a tiny hole in a carafe pump thing last night. And as you can imagine, I did a perfect job and didn't spill any of it. Wrong. I pour, it hits my hand, it splatters on my clothes. I'm not only getting dirty, I'm getting burned. It did not feel good. Listen, the trials and struggles we go through in this life, we get burned. But what we view as injury, as wounding, as hurt, God's saying, no, no, I'm producing something because fire does something else to precious metals. It purifies them. It purifies them. It removes the impurities, and what's left is beautiful. wonderful. And so God is doing a work in us. So listen, I don't want us to be deceived. When we hear the word revelation, it's meant to be glorious. It's meant to fill us with hope. But friends, when we have a revelation of Jesus in our lives, and we now belong to him, and so he now begins to work in us, there is some work associated with revelation. And it's going to hurt at times. But it's for our good, for our benefit. See, when Peter writes these words and he's saying, listen, you can rejoice in the midst of this because it's going to be all right. Have you ever read that? Or maybe even some other Christian at church told you that and you just kind of felt like, well, that's easy for you to say. You know, it just feels like these dead words that are hitting you, they're almost used like a weapon. Like, have these words ever been weaponized against you, right? There's a few other passages. There's one in Romans. Like, there's just those passages that feel more like an assault when we're going through trouble, not encouragement. But Peter is not writing these words like distant from suffering and struggle. Peter fully experienced the suffering and struggle and trials of this life. He is not speaking at us. He's speaking out of experience to encourage us, to hold on, because it's going to be worth it. See, the passage we just read in Matthew about Peter When Jesus says, look what God's just revealed to you, you're the rock. You know what he says like two sentences later? Get behind me, Satan. (laughs) 
He calls Peter the rock Satan just like two sentences later. That's the struggle. That's the up and down. Listen, he almost drowns trying to follow Jesus in faith. Jesus rescued him. He was there. But he struggles. He denies Jesus three times at the most critical moment of Jesus' life. And listen, even as someone who faithfully followed him, as we, as we see into the book of Acts, and he's, he's standing up boldly, and he seems to have be, been set free from a lot of fear and anxiety, and he's boldly preaching the truth, he still continued to experience trials. In fact, he writes this letter, and yet further into the future, Peter continues to face trials even leading up to his martyrdom. He's killed for his faith. Peter suffered greatly, and yet he says it's worth it. Because what will be revealed at the end of all things is worth it. He heard Jesus speak these words recorded in Luke 17. I want you to hang with me through a bit of a lengthy passage here. This is verses 20 through 32. Jesus is speaking to all who will hear. In fact, he's actually answering a Pharisee with these words. So he's speaking to both his faithful followers and those who are opposed to him about Revelation, about the apocalypse. And he says in Luke 17, verse 20, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. I am the king and I'm already here. Who's going to let me be king? That's what the kingdom is about. And then he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. There's a day coming when you're going to be walking through the difficulties and trials of this life, and you're going to wish I was back. But I'm not going to be there yet. And they will say to you, look there, or look here. Look for other avenues of escape. Look through other, for other ways of hope. Maybe even be deceived into following a false Christ. But do not go out or follow them. Hold on is what he's saying. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. He says, friends, if you are faithful to hold on, you will see me in all my glory. You won't miss it. Guys, the truth is there are days in this life where I feel like, man, I'm missing it. It's hard to see him. I wish he was just back. I wish this was all over. But he's saying, don't be deceived and don't be pulled off into believing or following other things. Don't give up. Hold on in hope. My coming is assured and you will see me in all my glory. And then he says these words that we should find comfort in. But first, speaking of himself, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Friends, when we suffer and we face trials... Not only do we have the saints of old who've gone before us and faced many of those same things, but our very Savior himself, this is the life he lived. He suffered. He was rejected, even to the point of death. The very ones he came to reveal himself to as their Savior, they are the very ones 
who rejected and crucified him. I see you. I relate to you. I understand. And I'm coming back. So hold on. Verse 26. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. There will be eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. This is why we associate hard things with the apocalypse. See, friends, the truth is there's going to be fire in our life. Am I allowing the all-consuming fire of God as I look to Jesus, the one who has revealed himself to me as my Savior, and am I submitting to that process? God, I don't like the way this feels. I don't like where this seems to be heading. Life is hard. Life is difficult. There's trials. There's tribulation. But God, I trust that you are doing something, that there is a work that you're doing in my life that is worth it, and that you're coming back for me one day. And so I give myself to you and to this process, do what you will, because the truth is fire's coming, and there will be a revealing. And the works of this world and all that is in it, the stuff that is worth nothing, that was a complete waste of time, that was in fact destructive, it'll be burned away. And the only thing left will be that which can handle the fire. What God rescues, what he saves. Jesus is being real with us. My revealing is gonna produce something. He compares it to Noah and the flood, he compares it to Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah. And then he says in verse 31, on that day, let the one who is on the rooftop with his goods in his house not come down to take them away. Likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Believe it or not, this is what Peter is telling us to do too. Remember Lot's wife. Who's Lot's wife? Well, whether you did the Bible reading with us this year or not, there's this story in the Old Testament of a family that was living in the midst of of a godless city where people were using their freedom to do whatever they pleased, however they pleased, no matter how much it destroyed them or others. In this little faithful family trying to trust God, living in the midst of this hard place, they're told the time has come, judgment is coming, you need to leave the city. You're being rescued out of this trouble now. And so Lot and his family leave, and they're told one thing, don't look back. Don't look back. Your hope is forward. Your hope is up. Don't look back. And Lot's wife didn't. She looked back to that old home, that old way of living, and she missed out on the hope that God had for her. And so he says, remember, Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. Jesus says, remember the time of Noah. Look to me, trust me, and hold on. 
Because there is an unveiling coming. And if you belong to me, you can trust the work that I'm doing. It's a work that lasts and produce something beautiful. And so back to 1 Peter, now in chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. The Peter who heard those words and who lived the life that he lived says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. You have been forewarned. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings. He doesn't say rejoice because it's awesome and feels good. He says rejoice because you're going through some of the very same things Jesus went through. You are walking the road your Savior walked. You are aligned with him. You're in this together. It's like that foxhole mentality. I don't want to be in the foxhole, but if I am, I'm glad I'm right there with my friends who've got my back and I've got their back and we're in this together. We feel like we can make it. And so Peter is saying, you can rejoice because you can know God is with you and he's in you and he's for you. And he went through some of these very same things. And so you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed because you've gone through the same sorts of trials he went through. Trust in the work of revelation because it's going to be worth it. And so, friends, that leads us to our final point this morning. It's the light of revelation. 1 Peter chapter 1, he's kind of pulling all these ideas together now. And in verses 8 through 12, he says this. And now, friends, I love this because he's talking about followers of Jesus who never met him in person. See, Peter got to see him face to face. But the rest of us haven't. And he says, though you have not seen him, so you haven't had that kind of revelation, you haven't seen him in person, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. So even though you haven't seen him, you love him, even though you don't see him right now, you're holding on in faith. Verse 10 sorry, verse 9, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. God is producing something in you. Concerning this salvation, I love this part. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. All this reading we've done this year, all these folks who were inspired by God and wrote these words Man, they wanted to know, what does this mean? Where is this leading? Like, think about all those Old Testament writings. They're they're constantly, even though God is present with them, they're looking ahead to a future hope. They're looking ahead to Jesus. And so they're looking into these things. Verse 11, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the suffering of Christ and the subsequent glories. Verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. When we hold the precious words of God, when we hold our Bible, it is an incredible work of revelation for you and me. To teach us, to remind us, to light our way for the hope that we have in Jesus. And it's such a precious gift 
that in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Friends, the prophets of old and the angels in heaven wish they could be in your seat this morning. When life is its hardest, its most difficult, may we remember that. The prophets of old were looking ahead for us to the coming Savior. The angels in heaven would love to get a taste of what we get to experience. There's something precious and special about the people of God who choose in the midst of a world where I can't see him to choose to believe that he exists. That the Spirit of God could reveal to my heart that he is real and he is alive and he loves me. And that revelation could be so powerful in my life that no matter the difficulty, the sufferings, the trials I face, that I hold on and endure because I believe that he is who he says he is and that he's doing in my life what he promised he would do and that he has something eternally that he's holding for me and I trust him for that. And the angels go, whoa, look at them. Look at his kids. Trusting, believing, holding on in hope. They get a taste of Jesus that I don't quite get because he walked the earth like them. And he experienced some of that same suffering. And he entrusted himself to his Father in heaven when he allowed himself to be crucified for you and for me. We get a taste of the road he walked. And so we get to see the light of the world in the midst of darkness. That's what Jesus calls himself in John 8, 12. Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Friends, the light of revelation is the light of Jesus that shines in the midst of whatever darkness you and I face. And however hard it might be to see a way forward, the truth is his light is in us and he will light the way. Sometimes that light is like the flicker of a candle that just helps me see the next step. But he doesn't leave us alone in the dark. And so through the light of revelation, Jesus shows up and he fills me with light and he guides me. And then that light produces something because this light that he has now lit in me, it's to be shared. Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16, Jesus says these words. He says, I am the light of the world, but now here he says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. Friends, we live in the midst of a dark world that needs light. And while many seem to have closed themselves off to it and resisted it, the truth is God wants to continue to shine a light in darkness so that people can find hope. And so the light of Jesus doesn't just rescue me in this darkness. He now invites me in the midst of the trials and the difficulties I face, he invites me to shine bright. He invites me to be like him. If I'm like him in my suffering, I also get to share in his glory. And so the light of Jesus can shine through my life 
and offer hope to other people in a dark world. Friends, the thing that has concerned me the most about this year, more than anything else we're going through, the thing that has concerned me the most is my concern that the church of Jesus Christ in America is not shining the way we ought to be. That in the midst of a dark time, we are more wrapped up in the cares and struggles of this world in fighting for my rights or wanting to make sure that my government in this physical world is meeting my needs or not infringing upon my rights instead of considering that in the midst of the darkness and the trials of this world, this present darkness, that the church should be shining bright with real hope. Our hope is not going to be found in the White House or the State House or anything else that the kingdoms of this world has to offer. Our hope is in Jesus Christ and Him alone. And we have it. In these very jars of clay, we have the light of Jesus in us. And if we would look to him in our own darkness, in our own struggles, and then recognize when we carry around that hope, it shines to a world that needs it. Friends, I don't have influence over the church in America, but I have some influence in my own life, in my own home, in the midst of my community and this community. seeing Jesus for who he is no matter how dark it is and am I letting his light shine through me to a world in need when people look at me in the midst of darkness do they see light do they see hope ouch (laughs) it's not a light I have to create it's the power of revelation how do I see light in the dark I stop and I look at the one who is light. I behold his glory. I receive who he is. I invite him in. I see the promise of what awaits. And then I realize this darkness and this trouble, it's a part of the work of revelation. He's doing something in me in the midst of this. And so I'm going to let his light burn away what needs to be burned away and whether I realize it or not I'll shine in fact often the way I shine is not because I have it all together see we've gotten these things backwards we think the church is supposed to shine by having it all together no the church shines when we recognize we don't have it all together but he's our hope it's his grace that saves me and the world can see a flicker and say, hey, there's some light in that house over there, and I needed some of that. The world's longing for this. Paul writes about that in Romans 8, 18 and 19. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. The world longs for light. And so, friends, I pray that we could receive these words. It's Peter's closing words in this letter. In the midst of all that that we're walking through, that God would help, help us to see things 
in reality. See things for what they really are. See him for who he really is and what he's up to. And may we be comforted by this truth. 1 Peter 5, 10 and 11. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That's the work he's doing in us. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I want to leave you with this thought as we wrap things up. How can we see the light right now? What are some ways we can do that? Like practical, tangible ways. In general, we look to Jesus, right? So you already know what to do. But I want to encourage you, just, just a handful of things right now available to us, okay? First of all, when we gather Tuesday for our Christmas service, this is what we're going to do. We're going to gather for a revealing, for an appearing. We're going to give a night to just look at who Jesus is in all his glory. We're going to sing songs that declare that. We're going to have candlelight to remind us of the light of the world. And we're going to just stop and see Jesus. And so I'd encourage you to do that. If you, if you can't come, if you're traveling, whatever, find a way to stop and see him this week, this season. And then listen, in our reading as we close out the year the next two weeks, the book of Revelation is the book of revealing. It's the apocalypse. And you know what that book is really about? It talks about the end of the world. In fact, it talks about the struggles throughout human history. But don't get lost in a bunch of stuff you may not understand. What the primary purpose of the book is, the book is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's a book that invites us to look to him. And so as you read through it the next couple of weeks, pay attention to the parts you can grab hold of. Pay attention to his personal letters. Jesus wrote personal letters to the church, chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation. Take those in. They're a personal letter from him to you and me. And then notice the glimpses of Jesus throughout the book. We get several glimpses of him where he appears in the book of Revelation. Pay attention to them. And then notice the worshiping saints, even saints who've been martyred. And pay attention to how they respond to Jesus. And as you receive his letters and you see his glory and you watch how other saints have responded to him, even in difficulty, may we catch a glimpse of our Savior, Jesus. Revelation 1, 1 through 3. The apocalypse of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to the servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in it. For the time is near. Remember Lot's wife. We can hear and keep the revelation of Jesus in our lives. 
as we remember his first apocalypse, may we look ahead to the future apocalypse, the unveiling, the appearance of our Savior Jesus. And may he make himself known to you and to me right now, today. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the glorious light of your revelation to us, of who you are and who we now are in you as your sons and daughters. God, may we hold on to you and the promises that you have for us. May we humbly allow you to do the work that you want to do in us. And God, may we cooperate with you, allowing our lives to shine some light shine some hope into the midst of the darkness to a world in need. Jesus, you are truly our only hope. You are our ultimate Savior. We thank you for your first appearance that we're celebrating this week. We thank you that you are coming again to reveal yourself and redeem this world. And so, Jesus, we trust you as we walk around with this living hope of your light and our life. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.